Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. Communion morning. We turn to God's Word together now, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. If you're just joining us this morning, the first uh, portion of our series in Proverbs looked at chapters 1 through 9, where Solomon had described for us the commitments necessary for a life of wisdom. Commitments that began with were founded upon the fear of the Lord, and then were supported by a heart that listens to the Lord, trusts the Lord, and is guarded against temptation. We saw two ladies wooing Solomon's son and inviting him to their banquets, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we heard Proverbs warning to choose wisdom, which leads to blessing and life, and to reject folly which leads to death. So that was the first portion of our series. Now we've turned to our second portion, looking primarily at chapters 10 through 30, though I did tell you that we'd jump back to chapter 6 at some point. This portion of Proverbs is largely looking at the practical details of wisdom and folly and what they look like in various situations in life. Now, as you know, in this portion of Proverbs, you often get one verse on one topic and the next verse on the next topic and so on. So we're looking at this portion of Proverbs topically. I returned from vacation uh, last uh, Monday morning. I woke up and I will admit I was thinking to myself, I wish I had a few more days on the beach. I wish I had a few more days to sleep in and eat duck donuts for breakfast few more days in the hot tub, but I guess I should start thinking about my sermon. What am I preaching on this week? Oh, the sluggard, right. (laughs) So that, uh, it snapped me out of vacation mode pretty quickly. And that's our topic for this morning, diligence and the sluggard. So uh, you'll find again on page four of your bulletin, a number of Proverbs we're going to look at, but I want to begin in Proverbs six. So if you have your Bibles, let's read from God's word, Proverbs six, verses six through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. God, how I pray that you would use your word in our hearts and lives this morning. Would it point us to Christ and make us more like Christ? We pray for his sake. Amen. As I was beginning to think about this topic this week, my mind turned naturally, probably obviously, to Toy Story 3, that great Pixar film. And you might be thinking, Toy Story 3, why in the world would your mind go there? Well, if you haven't thought about that movie or seen that movie, I'll remind you that the story begins with a toy's worst nightmare. Their owner, Andy, has grown up and is headed off to college. And mom gets the trash bag out and throws the toys into the trash bag destined for the attic. 
Now, a toy's purpose is to be played with. A toy's purpose is to bring joy to the kids that play with them. And nothing could be worse for a toy than collecting dust on the shelf, useless, unable to do what they were meant to do. And that appears to be the fate of Buzz Lightyear and friends as the movie begins. Now, when we come to Proverbs, I want us to understand, this is so important, Proverbs' comments on work and diligence are not just about the good old American work ethic. Work hard and get a lot of money doing it. No, Proverbs and the root of Proverbs' wisdom goes back to Genesis and to God's purpose for mankind. Back to what we were created to do and to be as His people. And I hope to convince you all this morning from Proverbs that the path of wisdom is the path of diligent, fruitful effort that we were created to follow, leading to joy and blessing, while the path of folly is sloth, leading to harm for yourself and others. The path of wisdom is the path of diligent, fruitful effort, leading to blessing, while the path of folly is sloth, leading to harm. So I want to begin by looking at the path of wisdom and diligence, then we'll look at the path of folly. But before we look in detail at Proverbs, we have to start with the same assumptions that Proverbs starts with. And to do that, we have to look back to the book of Genesis and God's created purpose for mankind. You may remember in Genesis chapter 1, when God created men and women in His image, He describes His purpose for them that they would have a responsibility and a calling as His royal sons and daughters to rule and to care for His creation. They were to exercise dominion on His behalf, under His authority, and for His glory over all His creation for its good. And we see how important that role is in Genesis chapter 2. God has just created this earth that He called very good, But in Genesis 2-6, we find that this land God created was not fruitful, was not productive, and had borne no fruit because there was no man to work the ground. Later in that chapter, in verse 15, when God creates Adam, we read that He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it and to name the animals. In other words, core to our purpose as men and women is to work to tend, to keep, to care for God's creation, that it might be fruitful, beautiful, and abundant for the glory of His name. Now, as Genesis continues, we find out that as men and women, we carry out that role in different ways. Some work and care for animals particularly, like Abel did. Some work the grounds particularly, like Cain did. Others will be over people as leaders and shepherds or will care for children in different ways, but each is an aspect of fulfilling mankind's God-given purpose and responsibility. Now, at the top of page four in your bulletin, I've printed the definition that we've offered of wisdom, and we'll keep coming back to this. We've said that wisdom begins with an attentiveness to God's Word, God's commands, and God's created order. And so wisdom, when it looks back at the book of Genesis, it recognizes this created calling 
Noticing that diligent effort is integral to who we are and what God created us to do. Work and service and care are not evil necessities to get a paycheck, but part of our calling and our purpose. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all when we come to the book of Proverbs to find out that wisdom calls us to diligence as the path to blessing. Well, what does diligent look like? What, what are the marks of the diligent person? I'd like to draw your attention to four marks of the diligent person from Proverbs. If you have Proverbs 6 in front of you, if you'd look at verse 7, you will find the first mark of diligence. Without having any chief officer or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer. See, this first mark is an initiative to fulfill our responsibility without having someone else tell us at every minute what we ought to be doing. And you know what this looks like in real life, don't you? The difference between the employee who just will fulfill exactly what they've been told to do and then they'll just sit and wait around until someone tells them something else to do and the employee who takes their responsibility and shows initiative to do what they're called to do for the sake of the team. Or, or maybe it's the student who they're willing to do their homework when their parents tell them, you have to sit down and do your homework now. And the student who comes home and opens their assignment book and begins to work on the things that they've been given to do. See, this proactive initiative to faithfully fulfill our responsibilities is the first mark of diligence. The second mark comes in the next verse, verse 8. It's the attentiveness to look ahead and plan for the responsibilities God's given us. You see in verse 8, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. See, this ant here, if it only gathered the food for its current meal, come wintertime, would find that it had no meal and it would starve. So it makes a plan and works ahead when food is abundant. Proverbs 21, 5 says the same thing. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty, and you know that hasty franticness that comes from one who procrastinates and doesn't think ahead and is constantly trying to react in the moment, the hasty comes only to poverty. So this di- the diligent is proactive in looking around him and looking ahead of him, to make a plan to know what's needed to fulfill its responsibilities. Look then at Proverbs 14.4 for the third characteristic of the diligent. And I would say that this proverb may well be one of my favorite proverbs. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now you know the smell of a barn with sweet, clean hay spread out. You walk in and the the aroma is just beautiful and you think, oh, this is delightful. And then you know the smell of a barn full of cows. I think it took two hours for my nose to recover when I went to Oregon Dairy's farm days for the first time and they didn't warn me they were going to drive me through the cow barn on the way to the activities. Of course, now I've lived in Lancaster County for 15 years and I know that's just the sweet aroma of home. But can you imagine a farmer who said, this is great. I can have a perfectly clean barn with no effort at all. All I have to do is have zero cows. And then, of course, that farm is going to go bankrupt in days or, or, or maybe weeks because abundance comes by the strength of the ox. And the principle here 
is that diligence understands that fruitful abundance only comes with effort, mess, hard work, and difficulty. The diligent understand that kind of work is necessary for fruitful abundance, but it's worth it for the blessing at the end. I was talking about this verse with Dr. York a few weeks ago, and he said, oh yes, when Stacy and I, whenever we face the hard, difficult work of parenting, we just look at each other and say, it's just ox poo. And I thought, what a, great, what a great perspective. The hard, difficult work is just the ox poo that's necessary to bring about and see the fruitful abundance that comes in the end. And that's the attitude of the diligent, knowing that such work is necessary for our calling. Finally, fourth mark, notice that I'm very carefully and purposefully describing the result of diligence as fruitfulness, not wealth. Now, it is true that Proverbs 10.4 says that the hand of the diligent makes rich, but notice that this abundance is not a self-aggrandizing wealth, but a fruitfulness that is a blessing to yourself and others. Would you notice Proverbs 21.25? And I've put these in chronological order. Hopefully that's easy for you to find. All day long the sluggard craves and craves but the righteous gives and does not hold back. See, the wise, diligent man and the abundance and blessing that comes from that diligence, it's not marked by this huge stock portfolio and comfortable retirement. That's not the mark of the diligent. No, it's marked by a fruitfulness in which diligent work and faithfully fulfilled responsibility lead to joy and blessing and enable them to give and bless others as God created them to. And that is the reward and the mark of wisdom and diligence. So initiative, planning, hard, difficult work, and fruitful shared abundance. Those are the marks of diligence. Well, what about the sluggard? I think I would have to say that the sluggard is the most recognizable figure in Proverbs. He is comic in his ridiculousness, but he is tragic in his futility. I think the tragedy of the sluggard is perhaps most dramatically summarized in the first words we read today in Proverbs 6, 6, where a man, a man who was created in the image and the likeness of God and called to exercise dominion over all creation has sunk lower than an ant and is told that he must go learn from a bug if he is to avoid ruin. What are, the, what are the warning signs of such sloth? Let me give you four again. The first warning sign or mark of the sluggard is an overindulgence and relaxation. If you look at verses 9 through 11 in Proverbs 6, over these three verses, you will find some variation on the words for sleep or rest five times. He lies there, he sleeps, he slumbers, he folds his hand, he rests. See, the point is not that sluggards are constantly asleep. You can be very much awake to be a sluggard. The point is that the sluggard chooses an amount of rest and relaxation that is out of proportion with God's created design for us. And that, of course, isn't to say that we can't rest. God himself rested and calls us to rest. But rest is not about mere inactivity. 
Rest has a purpose. And the purpose of rest is oriented towards God himself, to worship him, to delight in him, to receive his good gifts, and then to renew us physically and spiritually for the service and work he's called us to. See, rest is not for ourselves to be lazy. Seeing relaxation as the goal or the good life, checking out, indulging in our phones and our TVs too much, these are signs of the sluggard when we overindulge in rest. That's Mark number one. The second thing to note about the sluggard is that he is done in by a thousand little surrenders. It's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And those are actually repeated multiple times in Proverbs that does the sluggard in. You see, the sluggard very rarely throws in the towel with one dramatic decision to be lazy. The sluggard, if you talk to one, often has good intentions. They have good ideas. But it's a few extra snoozes, a few extra naps in the afternoon, a few extra clicks on Pinterest or ESPN, allowing the next episode, which automatically comes up on on Netflix, to go ahead and play a few extra times. So I encourage us that the sluggard is not marked by dramatic laziness all the time, but is so often marked by a thousand little decisions to not be diligent, productive, or responsible, none of which may be terrible in themselves, but add up to folly and ruin. That's the second mark. The third thing to notice about the sluggard is his excuses. Look to Proverbs 26 here. Proverbs 26, verse 13. Notice what we read there. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And we say, well, that's pretty ridiculous. I would never make that mistake. We we never have lions in the streets. But that would miss the whole point. The point is probably there wasn't a lion in the streets then either. But the sluggard always has a reason, no matter how little or how coherent or incoherent it may seem. There's always a reason to put off responsibility Life is difficult right now. I, I, I just need this time right now. There's always an excuse. Pastor Scott Hubbard put it so well when he wrote, To our inner sluggard, a scratch in our throat is cause for a sick day. A little tiredness is reason to nap instead of mow the lawn. And a long day at work is great justification for skipping small group. After all, our bodies need rest, don't they? And of course, some people really do work their bodies into the dust. But the sluggard is prone to label as anxious or difficult toil any work that is hard or that they don't want to do. And he forgets that overcoming such difficulty is actually part of what makes diligence diligence in the first place. See, we aren't supposed to avoid all stress in life. God made our bodies to bend and strain, our minds to crank and labor, our souls to strive and press. That is how God made us and what he made us for. But the sluggard is tired and stops, even with his hands still buried in the bowl, and makes his excuses for why he cannot do it right now. If you're still looking at Proverbs 26, You see the last mark of the sluggard in the last verse I've printed there. He is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. 
See, the sluggard thinks that his delay is prudent caution. His relaxation is needed rest. That his lack of productivity has a thousand good reasons. And he is offended at any suggestion that he might be doing something wrong. But the sluggard is unwilling to listen to the wise people around him. And so it ensures that he will continue to limp along towards want and ruin. Where does this path of the sloth lead? It leads to lots of desires that are constantly unmet. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. It leads to lack and poverty. Proverbs 10, 4, a slack hand causes poverty. It leads to harm and frustration both to himself and to those around them who are relying on them. Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. You know what that feels like, don't you? Vivid illustration. That is what the sluggard is like to those who send him. But see, the sluggard is not just lazy. He's failing to live as God created him to live to accomplish the purpose and calling his creator has given him. And the results are found in weariness, lack of fulfillment, poverty, and ruin. Can I give you an encouragement? Don't let the comic picture of these verses... I mean, we look at this and think, someone is so lazy they put their hand into the bowl of potato chips and they're too tired to even bring it back to their mouth. That's ridiculous. I would never do that don't let the com the comedy of these pictures keep you from examining your hearts because our flesh constantly pulls us in the direction of self and relaxation so having seen the path of the diligent and the path of the sluggard can we look a little bit at how this might show up in our lives today now living in america i think Maybe the first thing I have to say is beware of swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction, too. In a world of busyness and exhaustion, I know some of you could never be excused or or accused of laziness, but you might still be accused of missing God's created intent because you have become workaholics and sunk your life and your identity into busyness, work, and effort. And you know, Proverbs has a warning for you too. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. See, there are seasons of life that are exhausting in themselves, but there is also an overemphasis on success, an overemphasis on my work, an overemphasis on money, an overemphasis on my kids' success. And when that becomes our hope, or our security, or our identity, or our pattern. It runs our lives, and it crowds out the God-oriented rest of worship and fellowship. And so beware of too much work. We have to say that first. But even while that's a temptation, laziness is still very much on the prowl. And I would want to warn us to watch out for the marks of laziness in every area of life at every stage of life. All right, let's look at those real quick. First, at every area of life. Laziness can certainly impact our work, but it can also show up in our spiritual life, in our relationships, and even in our rest itself. Laziness in work means delaying, putting off, or doing poor or insufficient work in the duties that God has called us to. 
but spiritual laziness, apathy in our relationship with the Lord. Spiritual laziness accepts sins that we know are in our life, but we assume they're inevitable. They're going to be there till I die, so it makes no effort at fighting against sin. Spiritual laziness doesn't quite get to church or to God's Word or to prayer, or if it does, it does so so utterly distracted and exhausted that perhaps we're trying to pray for the first time as we're falling asleep on our pillow. And those practices bear no fruit in our lives. They are signs of laziness and sloth showing no priority on our following the Lord. How about relational laziness, laziness in our relationships? That is a failure to love and to help others as God has created us and called us to do. For instance, we might be fully content with our family and the friends that God has given us and say, I have everything I need. I've got the friends I need. I've got family around me. And because of that, we don't make an effort to reach out to those around us who don't have family and friends, who don't have those relationships or who are different than us and are harder for us to get along with. And when we do that, we might actually be showing signs of relational sloths, missing God's calling to be a blessing to others among his people. And even, even our rest can be lazy. Again, rest is meant to be rejuvenating and refreshing because it is oriented to physical and spiritual rest in the Lord. But rest can become mere entertainment or boredom. A mere opportunity to do nothing or do what I like doing so I don't have to do other things. That's, of course, not to say we can't have fun or relax, not at all. But it is to say that even our rest has a God-ordained purpose to it. And we can undermine it with a complete self-focus. So can I encourage you to take stock of your work, of your spiritual life, of your relationships, and your rest, and hold them before the Word of God and look for signs of the sloth, of the sluggard. But we also need to watch out for the sluggard at every stage of life because there are unique temptations to us at each stage. Kids, teens, students, do you ever feel like as you get older, the only thing that happens is you have more and more work to do? And uh, Anthony Salvaggio summarized a history of his life this way. He said, one of my early memories was when my mom called me in from playing outside because I had to do chores. But it wasn't long after that before I was introduced to school and I had to go every single day. And then there was that terrible day when I learned about homework and then not only did they want me to do homework, but I had to get a part-time job on top of it. And then just when I thought those were over, I went to college and I had to study harder than I had ever before. And my reward for all of that was this thing called a career, which meant I had to work all the time, every day. Maybe we, maybe we sympathize with his history of life. But see, we have a sinful tendency to push back against responsibility and duty and effort in favor of freedom without stress. But that's not what God created you for. That's not what he's called you to. It's not where fruitfulness and abundance and blessing lies, so watch out for that attitude. And students, you know you have all sorts of temptations 
urging you towards laziness. You have texting and at least 27 different messaging apps where people are contacting you all of the time and you could spend your whole day just with all the people who want to to communicate with you. And then there's the shows that your friends are, are watching and there are so many easy ways to just never quite get around to the important things God's given you to do. So be on guard. But adults, we're not really that much better, are we? Our phones are right at hand for us too. Those shows are right at hand for us too. We want relaxation as well. And as adults, maybe it's the loneliness of doing life on your own. Maybe it's the feeling of mundanity that I've worked my whole life and this is all that it is. Maybe it's the sheer exhaustion of work, parenting, and young children. And all of those can suggest to us, I need and I deserve more relaxation more to distract me and rejuvenate me. In other words, we have plenty of reason for excuses. Now, I know many of you are in some of your weariest years, and we can easily lose sight of God's call to us to work diligently in order to be fruitful. And we lose our focus on all of the piles of ox poo that are part of what God has called us to. So be on guard for the temptation to sloth. But how about for those of you who are retired? Can I suggest that you are also in danger? See, we live in a culture that tells us that a long career entitles you to a retirement of vacations and relaxation. And the Bible says that is baloney. See, you are still called to be a blessing to others with the strength that you have. In fact, many of you are in a particularly well-suited position to be a fruitful blessing to others. Now, of course, there's no biblical warning against spending time in Florida or out on the golf courses in retirement, but there is a biblical calling that you are still a needed, integral part of the body of Christ, and your purpose as men and women is still to be as diligent as you are able in serving and helping and being a blessing. Now, there may be some of you who, who think, I'm, I am homebound. I, can't, I can hardly get out of my chair. How can I do this? But don't underestimate the ministry of encouragement and prayer that you can be to the body of Christ. And so let me encourage you at every stage, our calling is to continue to persevere where the Lord has us as he may do. And I am so thankful Let me just say, for so many of you here at Westminster who embody this so well, but retirees, check your heart and be on guard as well. Well, we come toward the end here, and maybe some of you are thinking, well, this is all fine, but it sounds to me, do this, do that, work harder. I guess we've just come to the moralistic part of Proverbs now. But no. Do we hear? Can you imagine a higher calling than being told that God's good design for you, the reason he created you and put you here is to work diligently, to be fruitful, to carry out his purposes, to be a blessing to others. Now the reality is, like Buzz Lightyear and his friends, sin has relegated us to the trash bag, pulled us into laziness, selfishness, or workaholism wrapping us in ourselves and rebelling against the purpose and calling that God has for us. And we know the emptiness and the ruin that results. 
But I have good news for you this morning. The good news is that God didn't leave us there. He has sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sins and by the power of His Spirit to remake you and recreate you and renew you in His image. And now our work and our diligence is shaped at every single turn by Christ and what He has done for it for us. And we see it all over the pages of Scripture. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6 says, you who are working for your employers, you're not working for them anymore. You're working for Christ. John 9, verse 4 says that when we work, we are working with Christ, who said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says we are called to work and to do what God has called us to do, but we do it with spirit-filled effort and reliance on Him. Because Paul wrote, I worked harder than any of them. But it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. See, for any one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and are following Him by faith, our attitude now is this. I love my Savior Jesus. He is so worthy and he has called me and recreated me to work for him and to fulfill the responsibilities he's given me. Yes, at different stages of life, in different circumstances of life, that might vary, but I don't want anything less than the joy of giving him every ounce of my strength every day. Isn't that our attitude in Christ. And I think it's that love and awe of Christ that led the great preacher Charles Spurgeon to say that there should be as wide a division between the Christian and the sluggard as between the North Pole and the South Pole. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged by the work of Christ embodied in this table before us. Live as God has created you to live. Pursue wise diligence and effort for his sake. Diligence that brings fruitfulness and blessing for yourselves and others and honor to God. And run from the folly of sloth that leads to emptiness, poverty, dissatisfaction, disobedience to the Lord, and harm to yourselves and others. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how I thank you for Jesus Christ. Christ, who rescues us, redeems us, and reorients us back to himself. So that now this calling to work, to diligence, to love others, work that is often messy and hard, but work that we are called to for the sake of fruitfulness and abundance and blessing. Thank you for restoring us in your image and returning our gaze to you that we might do it for your sake. Be with us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.